This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 497 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Folks, my name's Matt Baum, but you probably already know that. I didn't know that. Mm. Did you know that I'm the internet's Joe Patrick? Yes. Oh, okay. Well aware. Well aware. All right. Painfully aware, you might say. <laughs> Frighteningly aware. <laughs> On this week's episode, Matt and I will hit you with in-depth reviews of West Coast Avengers number one and The Punisher number one. Is it The Punisher or just Punisher? I think it's just Punisher. I don't think there's a the. It's like sometimes they call him The Batman and sometimes yeah. they don't. Yeah, but it's just Batman. You don't feel like, oh, I was reading The Batman as written by Tom King recently. <laughs> right. Shocking, wasn't it? You know? After that, we'll review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, the comic pushers will be helping a nerd across the pond with some grotesquely early Christmas shopping. I seriously can't even believe he's doing this already. Um, it's all- in, in England, Christmas is in October. Oh, I think that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's all coming next in this senses-shattering episode. But before we unveil the special ingredient for this nerdy cooking challenge, we better talk about this week's Nerd News. Nerd News. I was trying something there. I don't know if I liked yeah, it. Yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was good. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah, yeah you're right. Fine. It was fine. It was mm-hmm. fine. Mark Miller is reuniting with his hook and hit girl artist Rafael Albuquerque for a new comic book series titled Prodigy. This news comes from The Hollywood Reporter. Prodigy centers on Edison Crane, described as, quote, the world's smartest man, end quote, who gets tired of being the most successful person in the world and aims for something more. This is a quote from uh, Netflix, I believe. His brilliant mind needs constant challenge, and so he's become the go-to guy for governments around the world when a problem arises they just can't handle. That Netflix is one sweet-talking devil. I'll tell you what. (laughs) (laughs) You're really setting this one up. A Nobel Prize-winning scientist, a genius composer, an Olympic-level athlete, and an expert in the occult, Edison Crane is as addicted to the mysteries of the world as he is to sitting at the top of the Fortune 500. These are the tales of the world's most exceptional man, and this story marks his first published adventure, end quote. Uh, This comes from Image in December, just like uh, The Magic Order, his first Netflix comic was published by Image. Right. Netflix aims for Prodigy to debut, of course, as a comic book first, and then, obviously, it will be adapted into some sort of Netflix project, be it a movie or a, a TV show, whatever. I think it, it, it. I think it's a series. I think everything they're setting up is probably going to be series for him, from what it sounds like. Yeah, I kind of agree. Serialized probably makes the most sense. Yeah, it seems um, kind of silly to do like original movies with this stuff. I mean, it's like short form stuff could work, like Huck as a movie. Yeah, but yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, 
Uh, there's a quote here from Miller, but Miller's quotes are always about himself and how great he is, so I'm not going to read it. <laughs> uh, Prodigy number one is scheduled for December 5th. Nobody knows how long it's going to be, if it's a mini or an ongoing or what. Miller usually just does minis, though, right? Other than Kick-Ass. For the most part, Kick-Ass it seems is like... Though, uh, like a series of minis. Well, I mean, they've all been series of minis. He's like Nemesis was a couple series too. It, that's just sort of his jam. Like, oh I yeah, Nemesis does, like, only had one series. The second one never came out. Oh no, that's right. There was supposed to be a second one, and we never got it. Right. That's right. And I all for the Nemesis. best. I didn't like Nemesis very much. Oh, I really enjoyed Nemesis. <laughs> I thought it was fun as hell. I, I mean, he's yeah, he's kind of a six issue guy. So I'm guessing all this stuff will either be short mini series that he's doing or ongoing series based on a short miniseries regardless this one sounds really fucking cool it yeah but kinda- Lee, my first thought was like this is just mr terrific without a costume i mean okay fine but it's mr terrific done better than they've ever done mr terrific on any mm-hmm. show so I'm well okay on a show that. okay yeah it kind of reminds me of like a human target as well like a guy that can do just about anything and be just about anybody that he needs to yeah and uh, boy i did really love that human target show uh with um What's his name? Mark Valley. Mark Valley. Yeah. And uh, Chi McBride and um, Jackie Earl Haley. That's right. Jackie Earl Haley was his creepy sidekick. Yeah. Guerrero. Any show like that where you've got like freaky, super smart dude that can drop himself into any situation, like sort of go to guy. You know, I love that. And I think this sounds like a ton of fun. I'm totally into it. I think it sounds fun, too. And. Like I'm, I'm sort of 60, 40 when it comes to Miller, 60, 40 missed to hit. Fair um, enough. Like sometimes he does things that are really great and genuine like Starshine or, um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I didn't finish it, but I really liked the first couple issues of reborn, reborn uh, that book he did with, uh, excellent Greg, so um, Oh good. Capullo. Oh, I loved it. But like a lot of his work just, it, it like it sounds really great, but it also sounds very familiar. You know what I'm saying? I don't it's have like, a problem with that. He, I think he's got a wheelhouse. He understands that wheelhouse, and I agree with you that I'm gonna, I'm fifty fifty with his comics. I'm gonna give him fifty fifty. But I will say, it seems to me that when they take this dude's comics and turn them into any type of movie or TV property, it's fucking great. He's a great idea, man. I'll definitely yeah, give him that. He definitely is. And I've loved just about everything that's been adapted of his. Oh, like, and I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely going to read this with interest. I love Raphael Albuquerque. Oh, yeah. The Magic Order has um, some moments that make me groan. But in general, I think it's kind of fun. I really like um, it. I think it's off to a great start and I really enjoy it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to at least seeing what this is. Definitely. In more important news, Joe Patrick. If there was one creator out there that you needed to return to Marvel Comics. Chuck Austin. Ah, see, I was hoping you would say John Byrne. Oh, yeah. John Byrne was my number two choice. John Byrne. Legendary writer, artist, and always an asshole. John Byrne has stated that Marvel has reached out to him about new work, which, if it happens, would be his first for the publisher since... 2000. I think it's roughly 25 years ago. 
I mean, you're not that far off. It's I know. 18 years, yeah. During a spotlight panel at the Fan Expo Boston 2018, which was last week, Byrne revealed this news as part of explaining how his self-published continuation of his uncanny X-Men run called X-Men Elsewhen. Yeah. God, that, that name is so bad. It's 90s, He's, dude. <laughs> according to Super Byrne, 90s. There was some discussion on my website. What if you went back to Marvel? And it planted an itch in my brain. I thought, what if I went back to Marvel? Could I go back to Marvel? Can I do that? I haven't drawn like that in 20 years. Byrne said, as transcribed by Adventures in Poor Taste. Byrne has drawn over 20 pages of X-Men Elsewhere, classifying it as a fun side project. That's almost one entire issue. Be that as it may, it got the attention of Marvel's roly-poly cuddly editor-in-chief, C.B. Sapolsky. Yeah, he's definitely jolly. Quote, And then I got an email from C.B. Sapolsky saying, Love it. Let's talk about this. Oh, that's unexpected. Continued Byrne. So yeah, it happened as a fun thing. It's still just a fun thing as far as I'm concerned. And I said, Yeah, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Newsarama has confirmed that Byrne has spoken with Sapolsky by both email as well as during this weekend's convention. Now, you may recall, Byrne publicly quit Marvel in 2000 following the publisher's decision to cancel his X-Men Hidden Years title as part of a broader effort by then-editor-in-chief Joe Quisada to slim down the X-Men line. Byrne threw a fit, saying, yeah. I was officially informed yesterday that despite the fact that they are still profitable, several redundant, in quotes, X-titles are being axed. Byrne told CBR, this is way back in 2000, X-Men The Hidden Years is one of these, ending with 19. No one at Marvel, no one was able to provide a reasonable explanation of why in today's marketplace, profitable books are being canceled. Since I have no interest in working for a company apparently so intent on committing suicide, I have terminated (laughs) my association with Marvel Comics effective immediately. Now, I'm sorry, but no one was reading X-Men The Hidden Years. <laughs> no, no way. It's, it's true There's that no it was way. a profitable book. Yes, I, it was. Okay, profitable. What does that mean? It was selling 2,000 issues? It means it was turning a profit, issues? Matt. What That's that what mean, profitable though? means. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, Burn, Burn concluded by saying, Surf's up, space ponies. <laughs> I'm making gravy without the lumps. Sobolski has spoken previously about how Byrne and Chris Claremont's Uncanny X-Men 121 was one of his first comics he ever read as a child. Byrne's longtime X-Men creative partner, Claremont, recently returned to the publisher. Writing October's (laughs) X-Men Black Magneto story, which we have not read yet. I'm already given to leave it. Yeah. uh, So first off, I'm very happy that your impression of John Burns sounds like the evil midnight bomber. What bombs at midnight from the tick cartoon. That is exactly who I was channeling. I knew that. Thank you very much. Yeah, Um, baby. Yeah. Yeah, baby. I said, yeah, baby. John Byrne is one of my favorite artists of all time. I've talked about him at length on the show about how much his uh, Superman relaunch had an impact on me as as a kid. You specifically talked about his Superman, but I don't feel that you've talked about much more outside of that. That's what I'm getting at. John Byrne, like Chris Claremont, is kind of a prime example of a creator who might be um, slightly past his expiration date, let's say. Okay, no, let's be polite. He did his thing. 
in his time and it worked there. But the thing is, is that I think if John Byrne delivered art today that looked like the art he did in the 80s, we would still love him for it. I don't know. But he hasn't drawn like that in 30 years. I don't know if that's true. Honestly, I think it's true. I think his stuff worked very well in its time. And that's it. I'm I'm, going to go that far. That's as far as I'll go with it. Like I was never a huge John Byrne guy. I did like some John Byrne Fantastic Four quite a bit back in the day. But I don't know, even if it looked like that still, I don't know if it would work at all. John Byrne on X-Men in the very early 80s. We can look back on it and say, yeah, this is very good. Definitely. Um, But by the time he was drawing Superman, which was after his Fantastic Four run as well. Right. He had, like, I think reached his pinnacle. Because if you look back at those books, that early run of Superman uh, from like 1987 uh, and forward... It's phenomenal work. It's truly phenomenal work. And no question. No question. He has only gotten, I don't want to say he's gotten worse. We're going to talk about Kelly Jones here in a little bit. And that's an artist that I feel like has been doing his thing for 30 plus years. And well, Kelly Jones is still totally got it. Still He's wonderful, still right? Still got it. No question. Um, Bernie Wrightson is another example of an artist that was yes. still killing it to his dying day. Still, yeah. Absolutely. John Bernard now. But that's not necessarily even fair. I mean, there's guys like in anything, whether it's art or writing or, you know, sports, even there's guys that are just freaks and they can continue to do this for way longer than they have any business doing it. I'm not saying that John Byrne has lost a major step, but he has lost a few little steps. I'm saying I would go as far as to say that even if he was at the top of his game, I don't think it would work anymore. I'm saying that John Byrne, uh, while still a very talented artist, has failed to evolve with the times. Yes, absolutely. And thus, his art just seems very out of place today in a modern comic book. I agree. I totally agree. And if he comes back to Marvel, I think they will give him the Chris Claremont treatment and say we're sorry for your imagined slights back in the day, <laughs> do whatever you want for a while. And when you're tired, you just let us know. <laughs> or yeah. Like with Chris Claremont, they literally pay him to do nothing. So pretty much. Yeah. He's written one story in the last like five years. So it is totally bizarre. All right. Anyway, tune in next time for more of our burn cast, John burn, burn cast <laughs> where we regularly burn John burn. <laughs> <laughs> 20th Century Fox is taking the Buffy the Vampire Slayer license away from Dark Horse Comics. I believe I called my shot on this one. Yeah. This comes straight from the creator himself, Joss Whedon. The writer revealed that the decision was partially the impetus for new Dr. Horrible comics at Dark Horse to mitigate the upcoming absence Oh, well, that'll Uh, fill that slot perfectly. Spoiler alert, (laughs) Dr. Horrible is not Buffy. (laughs) No. In fact, it was a, uh, what, four-episode internet short? (laughs) Yeah, it was a very, yeah. It was just made to fill time during the writer's strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll shut all those Buffy fans up. (laughs) Here's a quote from Whedon. We want to do something more with Dark Horse right now, especially because Fox is taking Buffy and Firefly licenses back. This is uh, an interview with CBR. 
And Dark Horse has shepherded these licenses for decades now. It's true. Buffy yeah. comics started coming out while the show was still on the air. True. Uh, the first Buffy comic came out 20 years ago, 20 uh, in 1998. Whedon did not say how or when Dark Horse's various Buffy books would wrap up. The current Buffy season 12 series is scheduled to end on September 19th. And I believe that they are billing it as the final series. Yes. But nothing new has been solicited uh, from dark horse. So what the hell is Fox going to do with this? Why do we take it away from somebody who's done such a great job with it? It it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand the business decision behind it. They are rebooting Buffy, but from, what little we know, it sounds like it's going to be a continuation, not a reboot. I'm not more, I'm not really concerned about what's going to happen with Buffy. Like, they'll figure it out. My main concern is Dark Horse. Right. Because we mentioned this, we've mentioned this, I think, more than once. Because this is not the first major license that Dark Horse has lost. No, and Buffy is a big seller for Dark Horse. It would not surprise me if it's one of the biggest sellers for Dark Horse. And if you look at Dark Horse, God bless them. They put out really great original comics, but I would say the majority of their books, or at least the majority of their profitable books, have to be licensed properties. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And no that question. means what they're left with is Aliens and Predator. You want to know something scary? What's that? Dark Horse didn't have a single book in the top 150 last month. I mean, but their metric for success is obviously different. Their first and highest selling book was Neil Gaiman's American Gods number five, and it checked in at 147. What's that you say? A licensed property? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I'm afraid Dark Horse is in trouble. I really am. I mean, I really hope not. Dark Horse does great work, and like... Their second second highest book was 155, Xerxes, Fall of the House of Darius. Oh, God, the 300 sequel? Yep, the 300 sequel. That is bad. That's really bad. Aliens, Dust to Dust, 164. That's number two. And the first one was great. We loved it. I am truthfully worried about Dark Horse. Buffy checks in. Buffy season 12, The Reckoning, number two, checks in at 169. It only shipped 10,000 issues. So maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe Fox wants to see it selling more than that. I don't know. I think it might be more, like you said earlier, like they're getting ready to reboot Buffy. And they maybe they don't want any confusion. They don't want anything on this, on the stands that like muddies the brand. They want it to be all about the new show. Yeah. Let's call her shot. Where does it go? I'm saying boom. I'm saying I, it goes to boom. <clears throat> I'm saying it joins Firefly at boom. Yeah. And I'm saying that the next new Buffy comic we get after the Dark Horse stuff expires is about the new Buffy. Yeah, I totally agree. No question. Damn it. I want to have a, a like some kind of nerd bet with you there, but no, nope, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I, you know what? And like I said, I think Dark Horse's metric for success has to be different because they've thrived for 30 plus years. That's true. But haven't, I mean, having their highest selling comic chuck in at above 150, that's kind of scary. It's a brutal bummer. Yeah. Yeah. That is your nerd news for this week, but there's still plenty to discuss. So hit us up on the THN Forums, the big news section, or better yet, call us every Saturday from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time and talk to us live on THN 
cover to cover. It is your nerdy call-in show. We can't do it without you, nerds. Call us at 402-819-4894 or leave us a message anytime. It doesn't have to be live. You can also send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You want to be internet famous? Sure you do. So call us, yell at us, and then reap the benefits of your internet fame. It's both a blessing and a curse. Get ready to have too much sex. It's review time in the cigarette where Matt and I take off our enchanted masks to see what happens when we open up two of this week's comics and get real. That's right. Matt, word is the Punisher is back and he is done wearing that war machine armor. For now. Who knows? Could be wearing the spider armor next. But for now, he's Punisher number one is here from Marvel, written by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Sizimon Kurdransky. Sizimon. Yeah, I think it's Sizimon. <laughs> it sounds like a Pokemon. It kind of does. 40 pa- <laughs> Yeah, I just walked out of my office and I found a Sizimon. <laughs> I think Charizard evolves into a Sizimon. <laughs> 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. You can take the Punisher out of the war machine, period, period, period. It's called an ellipses. (laughs) Punisher no longer has the war machine armor, but he retained his newly acquired taste for big game, and he's hungry, hungry for more. However, the paths to such perilous pursuits are fraught with dangers bigger than any Frank has faced before, and this lone wolf could use otherworldly help on his way up to the world stage. Matthew Rosenberg continues pushing the boundaries of the Punisher and now joined by acclaimed artist Ricardo Bricelli. Nope. Who is not actually the artist here. It is. They changed artists, but not to solicit. (laughs) It's actually Simon Kurdransky. This is the book Punisher fans will be talking about for years to come. We'll just see about that. Yeah, we will. The Punisher is back. Everyone that was tired of Frank wearing the war machine armor, trying to redeem himself after carrying out hits for Nazi cap during Secret Empire can celebrate. Frank is back on the streets dealing with Hydra and Baron Zemo, apparently. Well, not with them, against them. Well, I mean, dealing with. He's sure. dealing with them. Yeah. When Frank like, deals with, with you. With extreme prejudice. Yeah, you get shot in the face. That's yeah, how yeah, 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 yeah. Matthew Rosenberg is a creator that has a lot of talent, and I think he's got great things ahead for the Marvel U. I actually really enjoyed his Punisher in the War Machine run, but I don't know if he's going to see a lot of success here. Frank Castle has been the subject of many kitschy stories of late, which is not to say this is another Punisher gimmick. It's just Frank killing the hell out of criminals, but this time he's going after... You know, like Hydra criminals instead of big names, mobsters, big name stuff. That's not to say I'm craving another Punisher murders a million unnamed mobster stories either. But this feels like Frank punching well above his weight class. Here, the Punisher is standing on moving cars, walking through fire and casually walking down hallways, murdering hapless Hydra agents with the greatest of ease. And it just doesn't work for me. Just like all the best Netflix series, there's a great hallway fight. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a great hallway fight, but here's the difference. In the Netflix series, the Punisher is a guy that takes damage. He's a guy. He gets hurt a lot. Yes. It's hard for him to do his job. In this, he was an unstoppable killing machine. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. I really liked the idea that he was this kind of boogeyman. No, I don't mind that either. 
I don't mind that at all, and I'm fine with that. But I want to see it be a little difficult for Frank because he's just a guy. He doesn't have superpowers, and I and he's getting old. Unless, as we as I read in the solicit, there is something otherworldly going on here. They have not showed us that yet. Oh, I don't think so. There was definitely some stuff that did not make sense to me at all. I'll get into that in just a second here. Simon Kurdansky is a very talented artist that I've enjoyed in the past, but there was some really heavy digital effects here that just did not work. His Zemo is bizarre and has a form-fitting hood that I did not care for at all. There's action scenes that come out of nowhere that just destroy the flow of the story. There's a scene where the Punisher is chasing an armored car with a truck. He runs over somebody and the truck flips into the air inexplicably and just explodes. <laughs> I have no clue why. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. This I looked, thought he hit something. Maybe, but they didn't show it. This looked like Kurdansky was swinging for the fences and there are some good moments here, but his action scenes are just too goddamn confusing at points. This feels like Marvel trying to bring Frank back to the streets, but still hunting superhero heavies. And it's not working for me. I love the Punisher, but I'm not convinced this character needs a monthly book either. Tell me one good Punisher story a year. I'm fine with that. At this point, I've got to wonder who's funding Frank. How does he travel with his weapons? Why is he suddenly a godlike killing machine? (laughs) Unless there's some explanation of some of this stuff that's coming in the next issue. I think I'm done. This new Punisher is not the Frank I was hoping for with major strikes on art and a storyline that just isn't serving the character. Well, I'm not giving it a leave it because there really were parts of this book that were genuinely well done. Even Rosenberg's script is pretty good. I'm giving this a skim it, but this is not a great start for this new Punisher series. I agree. It's a skim it for me as well. And I want to remind everybody that Rick Remender had a run on the Punisher. It was like 2007, 2008. It was the late aughts, right? Um, God, don't ever say that on this show. I don't again. know how else to re- you it was, son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't know how else to refer to it. It featured specifically uh, the Punisher deciding. You know it was what? Two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Okay, the Punisher decided very specifically. You know what? I'm done fighting street level crime. I'm yeah. setting my target on supervillains. Yeah, like he was going to go kill the Sentry at one part. And yeah, in the first issue or one of the early issues. He plants a bomb in the coffin of Stiltman. Yeah, and it was great. And sends it to the bar with no name and murders a dozen dudes. But even that, even like killing guys like Stiltman, going after the owl, like this is stuff that makes sense. I get that. Right, right, right. I'm just the Punisher is not the guy who can book international flights to chase down supervillains. He just does not have those connections. He doesn't have you know. Like everybody knows what Frank Castle looks like. Uh, I'm just pointing out that this idea has been done before. We've seen it. Right. And that's not to say that I thought Matthew Rosenberg's script was bad. No, it wasn't. It was fine. But uh, I did enjoy the aspect that, like, Frank was sort of this, like, boogeyman throughout the issue. He was, uh, for most of it, he, like, you never really saw him in full profile. You just saw, like, an arm or the back of his head or whatever. Right. The art, though, I agree, had tons of problems. Yeah. I thought it was stiff. 
just completely overdone. Like Kurdansky has never done this this heavy of digital effects before, and and it's just not working for me. The digital effects weren't my main problem. The problem was that it looked so photo referenced to the point that it was noticeable. See, I think that's the digital shit. I think that's him like making it so slick that it becomes like it's trying to look like a photo, that it becomes more than photo reference. It's trying to look like digital photography almost. And it's like, like, I don't want to see Baron Zemo like that. I don't want to see that at all. Like I want form, Baron, Baron Zemo should look like Cobra Commander in a hood. You know what I mean? The form-fitting hood I didn't really have a problem with. Like, Oh, I hated it. The current Baron Zemo has had a form-fitting hood for many years. I hate it. It's just that other artists have drawn it better. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This, I didn't really feel anything reading this, and I agree with you. I'm kind of over the idea of the Punisher as a solo character. I don't think he works. Yeah. Because I don't think we need it. You can't root for him. If you can tell good stories, great. But we don't need a monthly book following a psychopath. It it doesn't work. Like books like like great runs with this character, like Garth Ennis, they succeeded on the strength of their supporting characters, be it the Absolutely. villain, the Absolutely. villains or the allies or whatever. This book had none of that. Uh, I'm giving it a skim it. Like it it's not bad. It's just I don't care. I'm yeah, not excited not, about it. It's not a step forward for the character, certainly. Can we please move on? Good Lord. Yes, thank you. This week I'm reviewing West Coast Avengers number one from Marvel Comics, written by Kelly Thompson with art by Stefano Caselli. It's 40 pages for $4.99. I'm not going to read the solicit. I read it last week and I don't want to blow out my earbuds. Oh, you big crybaby. Okay, I'll read it, but with with no screaming. Okay, you do the parts that aren't screaming. A new era dawns! Avengers assemble! Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, Hawkeye, Clint Burton! A guy named Fuse! Never have they been called the big three. This is so much fun. Of anything. (laughs) And now here they are, reunited for, okay, well... It's only the second time ever. Thank God they also brought America Chavez, Gwen Poole, and Kid Omega. Wait, what? That's right. It's the new West Coast Avengers, son. And you better hope they can figure out how to save the world because big things are headed for the West Coast. (laughs) I I didn't see that big. I apologize. Pause for drama. In 2005... Writer Zeb Wells and a fresh-faced Scotty Young reimagined the New Warriors, a team near and dear to my heart, as inept heroes and desperate reality show stars who were later thrown under the bus by Mark Miller in Civil War. What happened to Zeb Wells? Is he gone? Did they throw him down a well or something? I haven't or? seen that dude in years. Yeah, I think he's dead. So I have a sore spot when it comes to mixing the reality show angle with my superheroes, but writer Kelly Thompson makes it work here. The script has jokes, but the characters aren't treated like jokes. Plus the West coast setting kind of lends itself to the TV theme. Thompson manages to get the team assembled in half an issue, something that would have taken past Avengers writers. (coughs) Bendis. An entire story arc to accomplish. It's true. I will give her props for that. She nailed it almost instantly. 
Thompson nails each of the characters' personalities from the tough-as-nails America Chavez to the acerbic wit of Quentin Quire. I don't always love humorous takes on serious concepts, but the West Coast Avengers have always been kind of bizarre and goofy. And mm. Thompson leans into it. You know it's true. Search your heart. Mm. My Search favorite, your heart. My favorite West Coast Avengers stuff was not bizarre and goofy. Yeah, it's bizarre and goofy, dude. Master Pandemonium. He had monster f- monsters for hands. Fair he made enough. the Scarlet Witch have phantom demon babies. That shit was scary, okay? Whatever. <laughs> this book made me laugh a lot. And I have to admit, Kelly Thompson even made me kind of like Gwenpool. Stefano Caselli is a hugely talented artist whose work continues to evolve. Here he pulls off action and humor beautifully. His characters all have distinct body language, and he does a great job with facial expressions. His page layouts aren't groundbreaking, but it works for this kind of traditional team-building action comic. Plus, Caselli knows how to lay out a panel with concise and clear storytelling, unlike Another Avengers artist I'll be talking about in a bit. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Triona Farrell's soft colors are a beautiful addition to Caselli's excellent line art. I've been looking forward to this book for a while. I know that Matt and I argued about it on the show. And Kelly Thompson, Stefano Caselli, and the rest of the creative team didn't disappoint. I'm giving West Coast Avengers number one a buy it. Okay, Stefano Caselli, I can't remember where we first saw his art, but I think if you took it from that very first issue that we noticed and went, wow, this guy's really good, watch for him, he's going to get better, and compared it to this, I would not even know it is the same person. It's definitely evolved. Yeah, I think it was either Avengers, The Initiative, or Secret Warriors. I want to say it was The Initiative, because The Initiative came before Secret Warriors, as I recall. Well, then that's the one, then. Yeah, because Secret Warriors, I'm going to say, and I'm probably wrong, and that's fine, but I'm going to say Secret Warriors was his first ongoing, but moving from that to this... The dude. I mean, Avengers: The Initiative wasn't ongoing as well, but he wasn't it was. On but it there were the several run. different artists on the Initiative, as I recall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the point being, he has evolved so much, and his art here is truly fantastic. It's not groundbreaking, and like you said, he's not doing anything crazy with his panels. He's just kicking ass. It's just this, great superhero art. Yeah, it's just it moves from panel to panel really well. Even the ridiculousness of like the land sharks and shit, and the way. That he has that scene where Kate Bishop <laughs> like ropes a land shark right. like a horse basically and rides it in the ocean. So I don't want to really spoil. Work. I don't want to spoil the last couple pages because it's a big kind of cliffhanger. Don't do it. Don't don't do it. But there's a character that shows up, and I thought for a minute like there's something wrong with that guy's head. <laughs> No. And then you find out what he is. Yeah. <laughs> and I could not stop laughing. I did too. I was like, what the fuck, Caselli? Oh, <laughs> like, I see what's going on. No, this, I, I did not expect to care for about this at all because these funny takes on heroes are usually like one trick ponies and they're good for two or three issues and they're gone. This was a lot of fun and it turned out to be something very original and a good time. I'm giving it a huge buy it as well. Hooray. Now, like humorous takes on superheroes. It can work really great. Uh, DeMatteis and Giffen's Justice League International. Sure. That's like the shining example. 
But then they rode it into the dirt. But 90% of the time they get it wrong or it's not as funny as they think it is. Yeah. Or it ruins the characters for years to come. Do you know how long the new warriors took to recover from that bullshit? Have they recovered? Would you say that they have recovered? Yeah. I'm just I mean, the last curious. volume, the last volume was more you know of what? a return to form. You know what? I'm not asking Joe Patrick. I'm asking you, listener. Do you think the new warriors have recovered? Look. <laughs> I would love to hear from you. The last volume <laughs> of new warriors was more of a return to form. It was traditional superhero stuff. Marcus Coe did the art. It was. It lasted it just, for at least nine issues before it, it got canceled. It got canceled. <laughs> yes. The new warriors are too good for this world. Mm-hmm. Too beautiful for this world. Yeah. Not exactly. too good. Too beautiful. Too it's beautiful. different. I agree. <laughs> So that is a double skim it for Punisher, comma, the number one and a double buy it for West Coast Avengers number one. We will consider posting our written reviews over at 2 so you nerds can use them to get us fired years from now. And you creators can put quotes on the covers of your next issue. You're welcome. But we want to hear from you guys. Call us, email us, mail us like uh, letters through the, the post. With a stamp? <laughs> what is this post you speak of in these stamps? The Pony Express? <laughs> Look, whatever works for you, we want to know what you thought of these comics. You can head over to the THN forums. Tell us what you thought of these comics. It's easy. We have a comic book discussion section dedicated exclusively for this content. It's true. Joey, there's a fight of brewing on the oh, internet. Oh, shit. And all the weirdos are coming out of the woodwork to take sides. Those who think the new anime Star Wars looks awesome, and those who hate it. Now you know, Joey, I can't resist a good brawl. So we're firing up both sides, saying stuff like, I heard the new IG-88 is going to be voiced by a black lesbian. And... Ain't no anime any good anyway. Everybody knows American comics are the best. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> We're getting ready for a nerdy Donnybrook, folks. Joe, roll up your damn sleeves because it's clobbering time. Well, we review eight more comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Wise Dogs and Eldritch Men, number one from Dark Horse. Evan Dorkin's story of magic using dogs to protect their neighborhood from supernatural threats returns. Beast's co-creator and penciler, Jill Thompson, is not here this time, but Benjamin Dewey more than handles the penciling duties. This time, the pack is dealing with humans using crude magic traps with no regard for what it means to the woods on the outskirts of Burden Hill. Huge buy it here. I was legitimately worried that without Jill Thompson, I would feel like I was missing something. I did not. Benjamin Dewey killed this. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Avengers number six from Marvel. Boy, I wish this title were better. Right? We were supposed to love this. On paper, it sounds like it should be a blockbuster hit considering the A-list creators involved. However, writer Jason Aaron spends the entire issue, no joke, describing everything that the art should be able to convey on its own. Yeah. And 
artist Ed McGinnis has only averaged about eh, four pages per issue since number one. This is number six. That leaves fill-in artist Paco Medina to do his best. <laughs> the result is a visually inconsistent comic trying to sell a cosmic epic with panels so packed you can barely tell what's going on. It's certainly not the worst Avengers comic I've ever read, but I know that everyone involved is better than this. I'm hoping that things turn around when David Marquez takes over art duties in a couple of issues, but for now, it's a skim it. Yeah, they, they're they definitely better than this. It's not acceptable. Why? I just don't get it. I don't know. Cold spots number one from Image. Cullen Bunn has decided he's not just going to be the busiest writer in the business. He apparently wants to dominate the comic marketplace, too. This is a creepy ghost story featuring some truly scary-looking ghosts by Mark Torres. I didn't fall in love with Bun's main investigator character in this first issue, but I can't deny how genuinely creepy the setup came off. It's another solid horror title from Bun. I'm giving it a buy it. Batman... Kings of Fear, number one from DC. If you subscribe to IGN, then you are buying this because they loved it. Oh, did they? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Look, let's be real. The only reason to buy this issue is for Kelly Jones's outstanding art. Scott Peterson's story is fine, but believe me when I tell you, it is completely forgettable, boilerplate, Nonsense. Yeah. Batman delivers a rogue inmate back to Arkham Asylum. Things do not go as planned. The end. It's, <laughs> it's literally the plot of like 50% of Batman comics from the past 40 years. But Jones still delivers the stylized, moody, atmospheric art that he's been known for for over three decades. If you're a Kelly Jones fan, pick this up. Otherwise, Batman Kings of Fear number one gets a skim it. Yeah, Kelly Jones is better than this, and I'm not really sure why he's doing it. It's it's almost a little upsetting. I mean, but the dude doesn't get a lot of regular paying gigs. So. But I don't get it. Like, is he, is he too expensive? What's his fucking deal? I don't know. I don't he's know. He's still got it. Big Trouble in Little China, colon, Old Man Jack number 12 from speaking Boom. Of, speaking of colons. It's the last ride for the Porkchop Express as old man Jack goes out talking about his feelings with the almost all-powerful David Lopan. <laughs> John Carpenter actually helped write this series along with Anthony Birch with wonderful art by Jorge Corona. Was this the best comic series ever? No. Was it a fun read for fans of the original film that might even own not one but two t-shirts featuring Jack Burton? Hell yeah, it was. And I'm giving it a buy it. Goddamn, I, really I love like Jorge this. Corona. I really like this series. It was a lot of fun. I read the whole fucking thing. Good time. And if you didn't read it, you can get the entire trade paperback next week. So there's that. Hey, Suicide Squad Annual number one from DC. I feel compelled to try out Suicide Squad once every couple of years. It's a concept I love. With an execution, I have hated since the new 52 revamp. See, I feel like that's like saying, I feel compelled to contract scabies once every couple of years just to see if I can get rid of it a little faster. <laughs> I feel compelled to hammer nails into my scrotum. 
this is a pretty accessible story from Cullen Bunn, the man who can't be stopped. Um, pardon me. Roderick Ruth is the man who can't be yes. stopped. The Cullen man who Bunn, wishes to dominate the comic marketplace. Yeah, Cullen Bunn <laughs> is the hardest working man in the comic business. Yeah, the hardest working man in comics. And artist Ronan Cliquet. I think it's Cliquet. 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 He French. It features a whole new team of villains doing Amanda Waller's dirty work. Unfortunately, the story is almost bizarre nonsense. <laughs> Cliquet's art is nice, but he draws one of the worst versions of Swamp Thing I have ever seen. I'll be the judge of that. I haven't looked yet, but you I'll need be the to look at it. It's bad. But hey. If you've been clamoring for the return of Scream Queens from Scare Tactics. Oh, boy, have I. Oh, that's one thing's terrible. I just found it. That's really bad. <laughs> this is the book for you. It's a leave it from me. Wow, that is terrible. <laughs> Avengers Wakanda Forever, number one for Marvel. This is not the first issue of a miniseries, but instead it's the third in a series of one shots that doesn't care to announce itself as such. So, I had to read all three one-shots. Amazing Spidey, X-Men, and this one-shot that detailed the Dora Milaje's secret weapon that I guess is a thing that mimics superheroes. Yeah, sure. Here, we finish the story with a big punch-em-up that didn't do much for me with art by a serious Humberto Ramos student. I could not care about this much less. A skimmit, because... It wasn't poorly drawn, and it wasn't terrible, but we've read a lot of stories like this. Skip. I, I think that they, like, really pumped up these Black Panther tie-in comics, and then once they came out, never mentioned them again. Yeah, because I didn't even know this was a thing, honestly. Yeah. I thought maybe this was, like, an extra episode of that world of Wakanda or something. <laughs> right. Know. Wonder Woman, number 53 from DC. I did not mean to pick so many DC books this week, but sure I guess Robert, you didn't. I guess Robert Kirkman is too good to send out advanced copies for reviews. So you won't get to hear what I thought of Die, Die, Die number two. Yep, deal with it. So I got to catch up on Steve Orlando's run on Wonder Woman instead. The current storyline features Diana, Artemis, and the new Aztec with a K teaming up to take down an evil Aztec with a C, God. It's super fun, action-packed, phenomenal art by Ago, ACO. Which we still don't know if they're a person or not. I, yeah, I think it's like some sort of computer program. I have a feeling, yeah. Steve Orlando is doing a great job keeping this title warm for G. Willow Wilson to take over, but I'm giving Wonder Woman 53 a buy it. I've really enjoyed Orlando's Wonder Woman. I'm giving it a buy it too. It was fun. The art is so good. It is really good. That is your focus speed round one. Creak is the sound of Father Fred entering the Black Barn, as seen in the pages of Gideon Falls, number six. If you're not reading Gideon Falls, by the way, it is so goddamn scary. <laughs> I need to catch up. I love it. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Anno Sionos via the THN Facebook fan page. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, call your favorite clergyman and have them submit it to any of our social media or shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Do these guys a favor. It's been a bad week for the clergy. 
Yeah, it certainly has. <laughs> That was some fun punch him up. Did you see me kick that Ewok's teeth out? Damn, that felt good. Man, after a fight like that, what do you say? We retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, grab a brewski, slip into the hot spring heated by the mysterious fireworm sleeping under the ziggurat, and tell these nerds about our must-read picks for Wednesday, August 29th. Way ahead of you, buddy. My pick for next Wednesday is Scarlet, number one of five, written by Brian B.M. Bendis, with art by Alex Mayleave. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. From the creative team that brought you Daredevil and infamous Iron Man comes... Okay, they brought you a lot of bigger stuff than that, but I think... That's their go-to? Come on, guys. (laughs) Like, really? comes the latest explosive chapter in the creator-owned epic, which IGN called one of the best comics on the stands. Scarlet tells the story of a woman whose life has been ripped apart by police corruption. When she pushes back, she starts a chain reaction of events that will bring about the next American revolution in this brand new reader-friendly chapter. (laughs) Fully painted by Eisner Award-winning artist Alex Mayleave. Scarlet! Tells the story of what happens when one young woman is pushed too far and what one country will do to stop her. I really enjoyed the first Scarlet. It took way too long to come out. When it was finally finished, I needed more. So I'm glad it's happening again, and it's got to be better than that last female-driven thing we just got from Brian Michael Bendis. Pearl. Two artists. Pearl, yeah. I didn't like it. It didn't work. You know what? I never finished the first volume of Scarlet because it took so long to come out. I loved it. So I'm glad that this is new reader friendly. It was very much in the vein of like his old stuff, his uh, like Jinx. Fire and Goldfish. Yes, Jinx, Fire, Goldfish. It's very reminiscent of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, those are some of my favorite Bendis works. He's so good at this stuff. I'm really excited for this. Agree. Joe Patrick. Pass me another beer and uh, tell these kids about your pick. Wow. My pick is House Amuck, number one from IDW's Black Crown imprint. Written by Christopher Sabella. Art by Sean McManus. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Ten-year-old fraternal twin Dylan Sandifer and her family have fallen down a rabbit hole full of secret implants conspiracy theories, Mandela effects, extra-dimensional invaders, and organ thieves. Ugh, this old twist. Really? It's another day We're that doing this again. Y, am I right? <laughs> As the attacks against them intensified, the Sandifers light out on a cross-country search for answers and salvation, blazing a bloody path of torture, arson, and murder. I just feel like I've read this so many times. You know, <laughs> I mean... Can young Dylan save her family from these delusions, or is this ornate conspiracy actually true? It's a summer vacation the Sandifers will never forget, evoking natural-born killers and the X-Files for fans of Paper Girls and Lock and Key. (laughs) So at this point, 
it's fair to call Christopher, Christopher Sabella the genre-defying Christopher Sabella. Yeah, right. The genre-defying Christopher Sabella. Um, I I've dare never, you to put him in a box. See what fucking happens. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I have never seen Natural Born Killers, but I love The X-Files and Paper Girls and Lock and Key. So I love Natural Born Killers. It was a great Oliver Stone film. I'm going to check it out. It sounds bonkers and fun. Yeah. Uh, I also love Sean McManus, who is an artist that I have not seen since Jack of Fables. Yeah. The Fables spinoff series that ended like 10 years ago. Come I don't know. A long time it. ago. Yeah. Like really talented guy. Where has that dude been? He's just not a big name. He was like working in IT or something or waiting tables. Right. Exactly. The THN trade of the week goes to Mammon. The hardcover from Dark Horse Comics, written and illustrated by Michael Haig. Michael Haig, yeah. Michael Haig, yeah. It's 136 pages for $19.99. This is the part where Joe Patrick goes, it's a hardcover. It's a hardcover. There you go. Here's your solicit. A horrifyingly beautiful vampire story. This lavishly illustrated adventure starts on the streets of 1920s London and ends at the gates of hell. Probably should have done something British. Writer Jonathan Meeks is captivated by the story of Dracula on a quest to discover if there is truth at the heart of the vampire myth. Meeks finds out there is far more truth in fiction. That is not a British accent. Yeah, totally. That was my Hammer Films British accent. (laughs) And look, hey, it's better than the traditional Dark Horse hardcover, which is like 80 pages for $12.99. That's true. That's true. And Michael Haig is a super fucking talented artist. Oh, oh my it, God. And I just really love a good traditional vampire story. Yeah. I love this is it. this is solid Victorian like vampire horror. Really nice stuff. We're coming up on September here, which is when I start watching a bunch of scary movies in preparation for Halloween. And I start reading a bunch of super scary comics. And this is definitely on the list. I'm excited. I'm into it. And it's not just because we're afraid that maybe Dark Horse is going away. (laughs) No, it had nothing to do with that. Don't forget, nerds, new comic book day is just one week away. So call your friendly neighborhood comic book store and get these comics added to your pull files right now. Otherwise, you got a fat lip coming to you, courtesy of a nerd with two heads. Every now and then, one desperate comic junkie finds his way underground to the very door of the Maleficent Step Pyramid we call home, just begging for a new read to calm their dope-sick nerves. That's when Joe and I spin around Linda Carter style and transform into the Comic Pushers! Joey! Let's hop in the 6'4 Impala and drive this pea-stained sweatpants-wearing junkie to the comic shop, shall we? This time, a degenerate comic junkie from across the pond writes... You gotta try and do a British. You gotta do a British. It's not racist if you don't. (laughs) Good day to you, sexy fellas. (laughs) Oh, wow. I have just now had the stupendous idea... It sounds more Australian, actually. It really of, does. Of pushing comics on my entire close family as a Christmas miracle. As we all know, 
Christmas in England comes in October. I know I'm forward planning horrendously, but I'm a horrendous forward planner. Any help you can proffer, that's not an English word, that's a British word, would be most appreciated and I would be indebted to you eternally. I have listed the targets below with some accompanying data. All right, so I think that we should take this family one at a time and just double team them. You know what I mean? There's nothing I love more than double teaming a family. You know, a good old fashioned double team. (laughs) Why tag team when you can double team? (laughs) All right, so he starts us off with Evie, his three year old niece. He says, Something colorful. Eye-wateringly colorful. Make sure you pronounce the extra U because it's English. Colorful. Colorful. She loves loves counting things. She loves making up stories about the pictures she sees. Mm -hmm. I've got just the thing. Do it. Scotty Young's adaptation of The Wizard of Oz. Three years old, though. She will lose her mind over that. It is the most colorful, ridiculous thing I have seen in a long time. I got just a thing. The Oz Omnibus. It's Eric Shanower and Scotty Young. It's Hold their up. complete collected. You're going to give an omnibus to a three-year-old? She's going to treasure this for her whole life. And an yes. omnibus, man, she won't even be able to hold it. It doesn't matter. Dad can help her with it. It contains everything. Oz, the Emerald City of Oz. It's got... Oz, Dorothy, and the Wizard of Oz. It's got the wonderful Wizard of Oz. It's all they did together. And Scotty Young's adaptation of these Wizard of Oz books are absolutely gorgeous. Your three-year-old will lose her mind as you read these to her. They're just unstoppably beautiful, fully painted, fully colored. She's going to go crazy. It's It's like you couldn't sit down and read the Wizard of Oz to your kid. And have them this interest in it. But you show them this book, they'll lose their mind. You don't have to buy the omnibus edition. You can just go in and grab each one. Feel yeah, free. Yeah, they, they came out in individual trades. Yes. Um, totally look, I worth confess, it. I gave the first trade to my niece, my young niece. She was older than three, but still, um, like, she loved it. Oh, yeah. So They're it's incredible. a great, yeah, that's a great example. I bought the first one, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, for my niece, Lola. When she was four and she burned through it and said, I need more of this and I need it now. And I ended up buying all the other ones for her. Your three-year-old will freak out over this. Absolutely. There you you go. Let's move on to Jack. You take Jack. All right, Jack, five-year-old nephew. So he already has a good example. He's pretty set on teen dog for Jack. Jack's bright for his age. Has the attention span to reread books, but hey, he is still five. I don't know that Teen Dog is his jam, though. I feel like Teen no. Dog speaks to like an older spirit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think Teen Dog contains multitudes. It does. To, to quote the Bible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> might be the only time Teen Dog and the Bible have ever been quoted How in the better same to discuss Teen Dog. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Like, if you look at Teen Dog and on only a surface level, he's just a positive dude that loves pizza and skateboarding and sure, music. Sure, Um, There's something to like there for, like, maybe the parents that have to read to Jack, if that's the case. I think Teen Dog is spot on for Jack. Teen Dog is fine. I dare you to do better. Okay, I'll do you one better. Tiny Titans. 
See, I was going to recommend Tiny Titans for the three-year-old. No. Tiny Titans for the five-year-old. Let's introduce him to superheroes. Let's mess him up. Give him Art Baltazar's Tiny Titans. And this kid, this five-year-old, is a superhero fan for the rest of his life. I don't disagree. It's going to mess him up. It's funny. Kids will laugh at it. Your father will laugh at it while while he reads it. Oh, man. Tiny Titans all the way. No question. A mother who has begrudgingly admitted on three occasions she loves me. (laughs) (laughs) Something tear-jerky and simple. She loves James Patterson books and soap operas. British ones are better than yours, but still not up to my standards. He's not wrong. Look, man, I don't know. Have you been watching General Hospital? Because it is gripping. stop that shit. I'm going real easy here, and this is the easy answer, but it's totally going to win her. It's Saga. Saga is going to fuck her up. She's a mother. It's a story of a mother in wartime, in love with the enemy, dealing with like the the parent, the mother and father-in-law, dealing with the universe. Saga would ruin her. This is so easy. <laughs> you have to give her this book. See, you know, she can totally me, like, relate. I feel like something more down to earth might be more appropriate, like blankets or Habibi. That's too easy. No, I think that's too much. I think Saga is going to hit her straight in the mommy feels. Ah, and but she dude, won't. Saga has a guy with a TV for a head. Yeah, but when she reads about said dude with a TV for the head and understands who Prince Robot number five actually is, number she's going to go, oh my God. Don't get excited. Number four. He's number four. She's going to say, this dude is a fucking soap opera character. She's going to love it. I don't know. I think I'm worried it might be too out there, but you know, it's your pick. It's your pick. I'm saying it's Saga all the way. No question. I will put my reputation on this. And I love the married woman like Sheena because I love Sheena of the jungle. Who's she? Oh, Sheena's the aunt. Okay. Uh, The mother. Got it. Next up is Rick, who is an older, but far shorter brother. Who is beating me in life by already owning children. Oh. Uh, Yeah, okay. Something quote-unquote important, but cool. Possibly something sci-fi. I've tried him with Saga in the past, but to no avail. Most likely due to his own snobbery and my laziness. Okay. So, Saga in this case, Matt, is the lazy answer you know what he needs he needs a rick remender he needs some fear agent see i was thinking jonathan hickman but yeah go on i think jonathan hickman might be a little too much because he says he's a he's a little snobby and he could get into hickman and be like no this is uh ridiculous but But remender but hickman is like super highbrow i'm not saying he's that's my problem that's my issue that i'm afraid that he might get a taste of it and just be like ugh Comic books shouldn't be doing such a thing. Fear Agent is just human enough to hit this guy right where it counts. Like, okay, affect him. Scare him a little bit. See the mistreatment of the main character. Watch his madness and go, oh, God, I got to follow this dude to hell. <laughs> I think Fear Agent would be right up this dude's alley. I love it. It's a good pick. You haven't picked anything so far, by the way. Yes, I just have. Saying. Just saying. Just saying. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, the other thing I was thinking for, well, there was something else I was thinking for 
Rick. Oh, I was going to say some Mark Millar stuff. I think Millar, if he's a guy that isn't into the buildup and whatnot, Millar might be right up his alley. In a book like Nemesis, he might love that shit because it's just like, hey, comic book dude, you want to read something nuts? Bang! Check this out. (laughs) Yeah. Mark Millar's Nemesis would be good for him, too. Throw that shit at him. Next we up... Next up, we've got Zoe, a younger and prettier sister. I hope he means prettier than you and not prettier than your other sister. I love Zoe. I really do. I'm more proud of her hardworking nature and maturity than I can express. That said, she likes shit like the Kardashians or something, possibly something female-centric and erring on the emotional side. Habibi. Why the last man? Why the last man? Yes, I think that would work. I think that would absolutely work. I think Habibi would kill her. I think Habibi is a kind of comic that would show her, I did not know people could write shit like Craig Thompson is writing with a female heroine, and it will pull her through that shit. All right, so eh, I don't want to get political or whatever, but... If she's like on a Kardashian level, I think blankets is more relatable. I mean, sure. But I I think like I want her to read Habibi to see. Well, yeah, like everyone should read (laughs) Habibi, Matt. But I want her to read it because the Kardashians are terrible people that don't deserve to be where they are. (laughs) And Habibi is a person that deserves to be celebrated because she fought for it, you know? (laughs) Sure. Okay, so I'm saying why the last man because it's female centric, despite the fact that the main character is a dude. Uh, it's emotional. Yeah. Uh, and I really like. Well, here's what I love about it. And there's been some criticism lately that I don't think holds up. I think they Brian K. Vaughn, who wrote it, took a male character and put him in an impossible position where he is flailing around trying to figure out what happens next. And all the women in the book that he's related to are yes. smarter than him and yes. controlling the story and better. than Yes, him. And absolutely. Like the, there is a criticism from some people that like, Oh, 50% of the world goes away. And the women are just like, what do we do? That would happen regardless if it was men or women. If 50% of the planet disappeared, of the population just vanished, we would be fucked. It doesn't matter what sex you are. Yes. (laughs) And that's not the case with Why the Last Man because his mom, Agent 355. Right. Everybody else that he encounters in that book is much smarter than he is. Yes. Absolutely. So... My pick is Why the Last Man. Fair enough. Because it's super emotional and the ladies are the last hope of humanity. Oh, without a doubt. Next up, we have George, Zoe's handsome boyfriend. Uh, Chris saw him naked once. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty set on Invincible here, mostly as it's his favorite. And he wanted to push it on somebody person. So George, I'm going to guess, is into sort of Superman type character. If he's in, if he's thinking Invincible is going to work here, he's into some type of Superman type character. What can we throw at George? All-star Superman. Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. That is like, 
a Christmas afternoon read by the fire that leaves you in tears. Like he did not give us any hints about George's personality necessarily. But um, I'm, I'm just going off. He's trying to push invincible on him. But yeah, if he's pushing a Superman esque character. Yeah. I got to give it to Superman uh, to all-star Superman. Grant Morrison's all-star Superman. I think you will fuck George up. I'll oh, bet for he, sure. I'll bet he cries. How could you not? I bet he kills himself and I don't even feel sorry for it. There you go. RIP George. <laughs> Okay, finally, we have Meg. Love of my life and most willing to participate, probably. I have more scope here and was thinking something that won't necessarily hook her straight away, but will get her in the long run similar to Fables. That said, if she's my only success, I want to assure it. So maybe completely the opposite of Fables? I don't know. The Unwritten. I think you need to hit Meg with the unwritten. It and is- like I, I think that Fables is a great choice, but I would also recommend Sandman yeah. to somebody like Meg. Um, maybe not just Sandman. Sandman Mystery Theater as well. Well, okay, school, now Matt Wagner. Just to be fair, like Sandman Mystery Theater is a complete I know, different book from I know, Sandman. I know, but it's one of those things that grabs you where you don't think you're reading a superhero comic, and you slowly realize that maybe you are a detective superhero comic. But first and foremost, The Unwritten by Mike Carey with art by Peter Gross. I love The Unwritten. Oh, my God. It is one of those books that drops you into it, and you become connected to the main character before you even realize like it's, it's 10 issues deep before you even realize there is something hugely bizarre going on with this character and he may or may not even exist. It's like, what if Harry Potter found out that his dad wrote a whole series about him (laughs) and he didn't actually exist. uh, (laughs) So to backtrack, so the unwritten is about a guy named Tommy Taylor who, who was uh, used as the basis for a book series very reminiscent of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. And he finds out that it's all real. Well, not exactly. He finds out. No, he finds out that he is an imaginary character that was brought to life by his father's work. Look, no spoilers, man. Like it's, it's complicated. Yeah. It's super complicated. The unwritten is very good. He essentially finds out that he does not exist. He was never born. He was literally brought to Don't life. Don't spoil that shit. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. I, I can't help but do it because you can't <laughs> just cut that out. Edit <laughs> that shit out. <laughs> Damn it. So, okay, uh, we'll say the this. Unwritten, the unwritten is by the uh, Lucifer creative team. Of, yes. Uh, Mike Carey. Mike Carey and Peter Gross. Yes. It's so good. It is wonderful. It's so good. And it's uh, one of those stories that slowly ropes you in. Like I read the first I love these creators, so I knew they were going to give me something that I was going to enjoy, but it took me six issues before I just stopped and went, holy shit, I am reading all of this. (laughs) It Um, just grabs you. My other recommendation, Sandman, is very similar. It starts off with like a very uh, mythological character gets captured, blah, blah, blah. He escapes, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then it grows into something so much more than what it started out as. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and so like, it's, it's a bit dated. It started in the eighties, but I love Sandman. I love it. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful. But the unwritten is also a very, very good recommendation. I would also suggest Jeff Lemire's sweet tooth. Mm. Sweet tooth is a story that it comes off across like so innocent and ridiculous at first. And it grows into this heart wrenching. Absolutely. Like you will cry. <laughs> like You cannot stop yourself. It is Jeff Lemire writes and draws it. And it's a story of these mutant animal children I, they're, they're basically like the X-Men almost, but they don't have cool powers. They're just part animal that are being born. They just are mutated. As society is falling apart. And it is one of the most interesting, wonderful, spirited, sad, and sweet stories I have ever read. Sweet Tooth is far and away one of my favorite complete comic book series. I think it would rip Meg's heart out, and you should throw it at her. Uh, so it's no coincidence that we have recommended quite a few Vertigo titles. Like Vertigo has been very good at producing long form ongoing books that possess a ton of character centric emotional stuff. And unfortunately for you, it sounds like your family are intelligent people that you have to deal with. Yeah, like I'm really sorry you can't just recommend like uh yeah. grim fairy tales. Blood or, packed. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, some shit like that. Oh man, your little kid's gonna love zombie tramp. Oh, you should <laughs> totally tramp. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh and as always, Chris ends his correspondence with us with Pip Pip. Chris, the British guy. Chris, you got to buy these stories. I, I'm saying you have to buy these and give them to them as a science experiment. And we need to know if you ruined Christmas or not. It's going to take a few months here. I mean, it's August. So that means Christmas is 10 months away. I'm no, pretty no, no. sure. Uh, like, remember, British Christmas is in October. Oh, so it's only six months away. Okay, right. got it. <laughs> All right. But you've got to do this. I'm saying, I'm, I'm putting a mandate down. You have to buy these books for them. You have to give them to them. And then they need to call us or write us and tell Ooh. us if you ruined Christmas or not. I want to hear it. I love it. This is for science. This is for British science. If you're looking for Christmas reads for the whole family or just a little read to stop the bugs from crawling under your skin. Gross. You can shoot an email to twitternerd at gmail.com with the subject comic pushers. Tell us what you're into, what you're looking for, what kind of underwear you prefer. That helps, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Pictures, pictures work really well, too. The more personal details, the better. Absolutely. The comic pushers will stick some highly addictive comic product in your Christmas stocking. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 497. Only six episodes away from 500. Before no, we get out of like here, Joe 15, Patrick. 15 episodes. 15, oh, 15 episodes. God, I was way off. Sorry about that. <laughs> Tell these nerds about the new question of the week. Rather, ask these nerds a new question of the week. I'll do it. 
This week's question once again comes from New Guy via the THN forums. He's gunning for that Gucci status, New uh, Guy. Good, if you, good luck, if New Guy. Don't right. don't get cocky. That's your best bet. If you're hearing this, we need a third question. Quote. I've gotten a lot of suggestions for good comics from my friends and this show. I just finished one, Punisher Born. Oh, hell yeah. Which was one hell of an origin story. I'm beginning to think that I've been spoiled by all the good books and I want some true nerd wisdom. I've got 40 plus years of the comic book experience to catch up on, and that includes years of disappointment and anger. (laughs) Punisher Born was great, but now I need to punish myself. Oh my God, I love this. (laughs) I need to earn it. Can you tell me the worst origin story that you have read oh my god (laughs) i don't care why it's bad it could be bad writing pointless character stupid retcon whatever if i can find it i'll read it so i can get some goddamn perspective i love this (laughs) bonus points if it's on marvel unlimited because he is not paying extra for that shit if he does not have to i get it worst origin story that's what we want to hear what is the worst origin story in comics that is and it can be a retcon so this is so good so good Gin is a listener supported podcast we want to thank everyone that throws their hard-earned cash down the incinerator shaft that is THN. This is money they could be spending at their local comic shop every week or, you know, feeding their kids if that's a thing. But instead, they choose to spend it supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you, we can't afford our CGC 9.9 edition of Captain America 405, The Origin of Cap Wolf. <laughs> We can't afford 10.0s. <laughs> there's Step no it up, 10 patrons. Po- I don't think there's a 10.0 out there. I'm saying we have the nicest one. That might be. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our executive producer, chief spelunker of the Adventure Club, and fellow guardian of the ziggurat, Beeps Bomb, who passed away this past weekend from wounds he sustained during a fierce battle with a zombie. Cave Yeti. We're going to find He went fucker. out. Beeps passed doing what he loved. Drinking cheap whiskey and bullshitting about biting moloids. Where do you, Beeps Bomb? You were more than a pug. You were the only friend Matt ever had. Which, look, is not true. Come on, buddy. <laughs> That's true. It's my only friend. That's Long true. live Beeps Bomb. Saying it here. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just send a zombie Yeti to kill your dog. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. <laughs>